Hallelujah. Good morning. Is it because I have the microphone? I feel like I'm louder than all of you. Good morning. Yeah, yours is one big microphone together. It's good to see each and every one of you, Karibuni, to church. To all our visitors, we are happy to have you here. Thank you for choosing to worship together with us. My name is Judin Jerry Geshoro, and I'm privileged to be the lead pastor here at the Nairobi Chapel, Lavington. And uh, as you have heard, today we are starting a new sermon series, and we are talking about death. This topic is very important because our faith and Christianity is founded on the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as a culture, we don't talk enough about death because of the many things that we have believed. Um, you know, we've had stories of different cultures and the things they believe in about death. Um, but also just the fear that is attached to death. But we also know it's because of the pain that comes with losing a loved one. And I know in our midst we have people who have lost a family member recently. And so as we go through this topic, we remember you. And we pray that God will help you to find comfort in scripture as we continue with this sermon series. So the series is called Death, Where Is Your Sting? Because life is uncertain, death is sure, sin is the case, and Jesus is the cure. Life is uncertain, death is sure, sin is the case, and Jesus is the cure. The salvation of man was the same in the Old Testament as it is today, and also in the New Testament. The people in the Old Testament were saved by grace through faith in Christ Jesus. The same way we are saved by grace through faith in Christ Jesus. The difference is that they looked forward to the cross and we look back to the cross. But it's the same cross. And so that's what we are going to be seeing in scripture today from the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And also from the book of Genesis chapter 50, both of those texts are from New Testament and Old Testament, and a few other texts from across scripture. And so the, top, the first topic that I've given our sermon today is receive the gospel and stand by it. Please, we are going to preach together. Tell your neighbor, receive the gospel and stand, stand by it. So 1 Corinthians... Uh, or the chapter we are going to read from today, was written in a context of, it was Paul writing to the church at Corinth. This was a church that was based, that was a, in, a, in a cosmopolitan city. So they, it's very similar to, I would say, Nairobi, Mombasa. Um, so every tribe was there, all manner of cultures had come and penetrated you know, the people there. And sometimes it was difficult for them to know when, what they profess is truly from scripture and whether it's just from a scripture or opinions of men. So we struggle with the same things today. And so the first four verses, it's where we are going to dwell on today. First Corinthians chapter 15, verse one to four. While there are many things that Paul told the uh, church at Corinth, um, he addressed the issue of division in the church. 
He helped them to remember why a church must be placed that is spiritual but also orderly. But also he helped them to understand the basis of their faith through Christ Jesus, which is communicated through the death of Jesus Christ and his resurrection. So 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1 to 4, the Bible says, Now I remind you, brothers, of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Verse 3, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. So there are two things that we are going to emphasize today, and one of them comes from this text, that the gospel which they received and which we have received is the gospel which we should stand by. The gospel is not just something we hear, but something that we receive. And that's why Christians are known for giving a testimony. And they say, I received the Lord Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior at this particular moment. Because when it comes to our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we don't just hear it, but we must get to a place where we receive it. And after we have received it, we stand by it. In John chapter 1, verse 12, the Bible says, To those who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. First Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13 says, We also thank God that when you received the word of God which you had from us, that you accepted it. Not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the gospel of God. And so today we want to talk about this gospel. And we do not want to assume that because we are churchgoers or because we grew up in church, or rather Christian families, that all of us have come to a place where we have received the gospel and where we are standing by the gospel. Because receiving the gospel, as we are going to see, is not necessarily attending church, is not necessarily serving in church, is not necessarily being the most generous person in church, is not necessarily taking your children to Sunday school. It is a very personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so just like the people in the church at Corinth, they had confused Christianity for many good things. And so Paul, who had planted that church, had to come back and remind them what the gospel is. And after he has defined it, challenge them to receive it, and not just to receive it, but to stand by it. And so today, the question that I want to ask you is, what is your understanding of the gospel, of the good news? And have you received this good news? And are you standing by this good news? The Corinthians church had issues, but they were standing. So those who have received the gospel don't necessarily live perfect lives. Because this church, even though Paul was writing to them, he knew that they had issues. And so he tells them the gospel that you have received and you are standing by. 
that you're holding fast to the biblical definition of the gospel. But when he wrote to the book of, to the church at Galatia, the Galatians, if you read the Galatians, he did not tell them that they were standing. He told them, you are off. You guys do not even call yourself Christians. He even called them foolish. And he asked them, who has bewitched you? Why are you lying to yourself that you are walking with the Lord while what you're doing is your own things? Same person. But he was able to tell people who, even though they have their struggles, they are standing. They continue to accept faith in Christ Jesus. But he was also able to tell those who had all the same rejected the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we ask, what is the gospel? The gospel, if these things are not in it, then it's not the gospel. It's just religion and many other good things. That Christ died for our sins. That's number one. Christ died for our sins. Number two, he was buried. Number three, he raised, he was raised on the third day. That is what makes up the gospel. That first we get to a place where we acknowledge our own sins. And we believe that Christ died because of our own sins. And for that reason that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day. And just like we have read in verse 3 and 4, it says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. So he did not give them uh, faith or the gospel that was mixed up with culture or opinions of men. But he told them that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, not in accordance with my truth and your truth. Because sometimes we say tr truth is relative, my truth and your truth. But he says based on what the scripture says, that he was buried, that he was raised on the that day in accordance with the scriptures. Therefore, we must receive and stand by this gospel. In Isaiah chapter 53, verse 8 to 9, the Bible says that he was cut off out of the land of the living and stricken for the transgression of my people. There are so many passages in scripture that talk about the death of Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3, like we have said, he, he died for our sins. At some point in scripture before Jesus died, um, rather, when he, he was going to the cross, there's a place where he said, it is finished. And during that time, there's a transaction that took place. And this transaction was a spiritual transaction that took place, where God the Father laid on God the Son all the guilt that we all deserved. Because of your sin and my sin, God the Father laid all the guilt on God the Son, all the guilt and shame and pain and the sin that we deserved, the pain that we deserved. And it was tough for Jesus. He even said, if there is another way to do this, he said, if there is a way you can remove this cup from me, please do it. So it wasn't something that Jesus uh, he, he experienced pain when he was going on the cross on our behalf. He was filled with dread because of this spiritual transaction. And the entire wrath of God was placed on the Son. Jesus was forsaken on that cross so that you and I would never have to be forsaken. And this is the good news. 
the question is, have you received this good news? Or do you know of it? And if you have received this good news, are you standing by it? Because that's what 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1 says. That I would, re I would rem now I would remind you, brothers and sisters, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. We are being sanctified. So none of us has really gotten there. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. It is very possible to live in vain. It is very possible to confuse good things for having accepted the good news. And that's why at some point in scripture, the Bible says that when the day of judgment comes, that God will say to some, go, I did not know you. And some people will ask, what do you mean? I was singing in the church choir. I was the most generous person. I was teaching in Sunday school. And he will say, go, I do not know you. And it's because we did not understand the difference between good works, between being nice and accepting the good news of Jesus Christ. You know, recently I was telling one of the people on our pastoral team that I am learning that when I visit people in their homes, to just look at people in their eyes and ask them, have you given your life to the Lord Jesus Christ? I wouldn't want to be a pastor of a church that celebrates anniversaries. And now we, are, we just celebrated six years, but we really can't tell whether the good news is being received. We are busy doing many things but what is at the core of our Christianity is individuals accepting this Jesus Christ and standing by his teachings. Otherwise, we spend a lot of money doing Sunday service, but we will not have passed on the true love that God has for you, to you, because we confused our work and business in doing good things with preaching the gospel and the good news. And so when we meet the next time, don't be shocked when I ask you, tell me at what point did you make this decision? Because we do not want to assume that because we gather here on Sundays, that because we serve, that because we go to small groups, that we have actually understood the meaning of the good news. Isaiah 53 verse 4 to 5 says, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And, his, and by his wounds we are healed. Without standing on this gospel, our belief is in vain. Just like verse 1 of 1 Corinthians 15 says, any variation... That, is pro that has produced a gospel that cannot save. There is no good news in it when you alter or change what scripture has called the good news. To believe in such a thing is empty belief. And so today I want to give each and every one an opportunity to actually think about what you have believed in. There's that um, famous um, hymn that says, But I know whom... I have believed and I'm persuaded that he is able.
to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. That we sing that song with conviction because we know whom we have believed in and we are persuaded that he is able to keep that which he has committed until that day because the judgment day is coming. And we must think about our lives beyond this life. And I don't know how much of our time in a day, in a week, in a year, we spend in reflection just to re trying to gauge where we are in our walk with the Lord. Or have we con confused it for many good things? Proverbs 14 verse 12 says, There is a way that seems right to man, but in the end it leads to death. And we live in a time where many of us have their truth. And we say truth is relative. They say that is according to you. It was happening in the church of Corinth. It's nothing new. And that's why Paul writes to them and he says according to scriptures. So that they don't confuse anything that he was telling them with his own opinions. For us to get to good news, then we must go past the bad news. And the bad news is that we are sinners. But many times when we talk about us being sinners, in the church today, many times it is considered to be hate speech. But in accordance to scriptures that we are sinners and we must go to God and ask for his forgiveness. We must go to him and tell him, teach us how to stand by the good news. And the good news is not the opinions of men. There's a good news of what walking with the Lord is when COVID came. There was the good news of what walking with the Lord was before COVID. But we are saying when it comes to God, it doesn't change. It shouldn't be confused for attending church. Neither should it be confused for many other things. And we are not discouraging you from being in fellowship. It's the only place we get to see the word of God opened and we are challenged and we get to stand by it. Because once you receive, you need to go to places where you are taught how to continue standing by the good news. And how to pass it on to others. Scripture says in the last days, lawlessness will increase and the love of many will grow cold. We must carry that burden. And last Sunday we talked about it. Are there people in your life, if it's not you, who you know and you are sure they are not pursuing a relationship with God? These are people we eat with, we laugh with them. But God has given you an opportunity to extend the good news to them because that's true love. We may do many things with our friends, but if we cannot talk to them about what will become of them after this life. And the good news is not just about after this life. Eternity starts now. The moment we receive, we start learning how to stand by this good news. So in the same scripture, there's a place that says that the wages of sin is death, but that death is sin's last triumph. Like we said, we fear death many times, but death happens so that it can triumph over sin. 
And we see that example in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so for as many of us that accept him and stand by his teachings, then death has no sting. We may feel the pain of being separated with our loved ones, but there's nothing beautiful like when we know we shall see them again. And that's why we are told that those who are in Christ, they mourn like people who have hope. Because it's beautiful when you know that the person whose body you're laying to rest died in the Lord Jesus Christ. But when they, are, they don't, you are left with questions and you wonder what will happen to them. But while they are still alive, we have an opportunity to share the good news with our family members. So that when death knocks on our doors, it will not sting the same way. Because we have, we have hope that they will meet their maker and that we will see them someday. I've shared this testimony many times. I can never overshare it. That when I was in high school, I used to really pray and evangelize to my father. And I don't know why I had a bigger burden for him. And at some point, he told me to stop preaching to him. And I started writing notes and putting near their bed. What I didn't know is that he was reading these notes. And one day when I was in Form 4, he got, took all the notes and he called a preacher and asked him to pray for him to, to receive the Lord Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. Seven months after that, he passed away. But you have no idea how much joy I have to know that he died in the Lord. That he died in the Lord and that God used my obedience to lead one who is even older than me to the Lord Jesus Christ. May we all share in that joy because of people whose prayers, our prayers will go to. People who will continue to evangelize them. After that, it was my brother, my firstborn brother, and I continued to pray for him. Now he's a born-again believer and an elder in his church. And he I continue to pray for one more in my family. Because these things I'm preaching to you, I would desire them for my family members. I want them to know the true freedom that comes with the knowing the Lord Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. We may not be perfect. The church in Corinth was not perfect. But they were exhorted to continue remembering the gospel they had received and to stand by it. Because there were so many voices that were coming their way and cultural uh, practices that made them think they were okay because they were doing certain things. Yet they were very far away from the will of God. And that is pointless Christianity. Why be so tired doing many good things and at the end of the day it means nothing? You know the devil knows that deception worked from the word go, and he realized it works. So he has never changed his strategy. He continues to deceive us that because we are doing many good things, that we are with the Lord, that we have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. The death and resurrection of Jesus Christ was so important to him that he took time to prepare his disciples about it. And that's why we preach the gospel, because it is still saving souls. It's not an old-fashioned thing. It doesn't matter which generation has come on board. 
the gospel in accordance to scripture has not changed. And Pastor Sulanji the other day challenged us and said that it's heretical for us to keep saying, if preach the gospel and if you must do it, do it with words. He said the gospel must be proclaimed with our mouths, with our words. Well and good if our actions will get us to share the gospel. But he said, whoever came up with us ensured that we are derailed from preaching the gospel, which is the power that saves men. So there's an example of a family in scripture. We said that the people in the Old Testament were saved by faith in Christ Jesus as they looked forward to the cross. We are saved by faith in Christ Jesus as we look back at the cross, but the same salvation. And so there's a story of a family in, the, in Genesis chapter 50. This is preceded by the story of uh, Joseph when he started receiving uh, dreams and he would talk about it and it would really offend his brothers, including his father, because of what the dreams were saying. And because of that, Joseph found himself in trouble. So one day his brothers decided to sell him to some Ishmaelites who were traveling to Egypt. When the Ishmaelites got to Egypt, they sold him to Pharaoh, who was um, a king at, in Egypt, rather. And then after they sold him, Pharaoh had one of his officers by the name Potiphar who put uh, Joseph to be in charge of all the many things that they were doing there because everywhere Joseph went, he found favor. But Potiphar's wife had interest in Joseph and she continued to pursue him, but she couldn't catch him. But so one day she decided to um, actually force herself on him. And so he took off and he left his coat with her. And she used that as evidence to say, he tried to rape me. And the husband was so angry and he sent Joseph to uh, prison. Then he finds himself in prison. The favor of God locates him there. The officer in the prison makes him the prefect. So he was the one in charge of everybody in prison. And while he was there, um, there we had um, the butler and the baker who offended King Pharaoh, and they were sent to prison. And they found Joseph there. And one day, they received dreams that really troubled them. But remember, the person who God had given the gift of interpreting dreams was in prison. So one day, Joseph wakes up, and he asks them, why are you guys looking so sad? And they're like, oh, we had very troubling dreams. And so they share their dreams. Joseph interprets them. And so they realize... Um, so there is hope. So one of them, the dream said, you're going to be reinstated back at work. The other one, you're going to be killed. But he told the one who was going to be reinstated, when you go back, somehow, when in your conversations with the king, mention my name. But the guy, the moment he benefited, he forgot Joseph completely. He went back to his life. The other one was killed for sure. But one day, the king himself, Pharaoh, started having dreams. And he needed someone to interpret them. But then all his astrologers and magicians could not interpret the dreams for him. So that's the point um, the baker remembered. Oh, but there's this man in prison who interpreted our dreams, and this is what he told us. So Joseph came. He interpreted the dream for the king, and he told him, for seven years, there's going to be a time of plenty on the land. 
But then after that, there'll be seven years of famine. And so you need to start storing so that you can feed the nation that time when the famine comes and the surrounding nations. And as a result, the king was so happy and he made Joseph second in command in the entire land of Egypt. So when the time of famine came, his family who were coming from Canaan came looking for food in Egypt. And who did they find? Their brother, the one that they sold away. But when, when they find him, um, he forgives them and he allows, he tells, tells them, go and call our father Jacob. Come, the king Pharaoh here has given us a beautiful place where we can live as a family called Goshen. And so chapter 50 of Genesis chapter um, Chapter 50 of Genesis now follows that story, and I want us to read together. Then Joseph fell on his father's face and wept over him and kissed him. And this is after now Jacob, his father, had died. So Joseph fell on his father's face and went, wept over him and asked him. And Joseph commanded his servants, the physicians, to embalm his father. So the physician embalmed Israel. His other name of Israel was Israel, of Jacob. That's why they say they, they embalmed Israel. Forty days were required for him, for such are the days required for those who are embalmed. And the Egyptians mourned for him seventy days. Now when the days of his mourning were past, Joseph spoke to the household of Pharaoh, saying, If now I have found favor in your eyes, please speak in the hearing of Pharaoh, saying, My father made me swear, saying, Behold, I am dying. In, in my grave which I dug for myself in the land of Canaan, there you shall bury me. Now, therefore, please take me, uh, please let me go up and bury my father, and I will come back. And Pharaoh said, Go up and bury your father, as he made you swear. So Joseph went up to bury his father, and with him went up all the servants of Pharaoh and the elders of his house and all the elders of the land of Egypt, as well as, um, as well as all the house of Joseph, his brothers and his father's house. Only their little ones, their flocks and their herds, they left in the land of Goshen. And, and there went up with him both chariots and horsemen, and it was a very great gathering. There's something we can learn from these people even before we finish the chapter. That first of all, there was a father who took time to prepare his children on what he wanted done after he was gone. And so that's what we see them doing. They are preparing to go and bury him back in their homeland in Canaan. But when they were going back, they didn't go alone. The Bible says that so many people, it says all the elders of the land, as well as all the house of Joseph, his brothers and his father's house, everybody went except the little children and the flocks. And... Um, I think it, even in the culture that we are in right now, it's just good to remind ourselves that number one, especially fathers, that it's important to prepare your people on what you want done once you are gone. And that number two, when people are mourning, it's important for us to take them to the place of burial. We talked about cultures at the beginning. They had that culture, but I think it's a good culture to continue. You know, sometimes we come and tell a group, so-and-so has lost their mother or their father. Who is going to come for the a-group? And you just notice uh, nobody sometimes in some a-groups wants to drop what they are, going, they are doing to journey with one of them. And this, as we talk about death, as much as we are talking about we have victory in Christ Jesus, 
when death happens to us, there are some pains that people experience. The Bible says that they mourned for 70 days. And there's another place you will see that they actually, even when they got to Canaan, they mourned for another seven days before they would marry them. That we need to be there for one another when one of us is mourning to journey with them and to be with there with them. Yes, we have the pastoral team, but they can only do so much. But when we come together as small groups and journey with each other, check on each other, then it's a beautiful thing. But then that will not be the parents who leave confusion in our home because we never talk about death either because we are traumatized by it. And so once we are gone, our children don't know what to do because we never voiced it, we never said it. In verse 10, the Bible says, Then they came to the threshing floor of Atad, which is beyond the Jordan, and they mourned there with a great and very solemn lamentation. He observed seven days of mourning for his father, and when the inhabitants of the land of the Canaanites saw the mourning at the threshing floor of Atad, they said, This is deep mourning of the Egyptians. Therefore, its name was called Ab Abel Mizraim, which is beyond the Jordan. So his sons did for him just as he had commanded them. For these sons carried him to the land of Canaan and buried him in the cave of the field of Machpelah before Mamre, which Abraham bought with the field from Ephron the Hittite as property for a burial place. And after he had buried his father, Joseph returned to Egypt and his brothers and all who went up with him to bury his father. And so the last part of this scripture, verse 15, when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, perhaps Joseph will hate us and may actually repay us for all the evil which we did to him. So they sent messengers to Joseph saying, before your father died, he commanded saying, thou Thus you shall say to Joseph, I beg you, please forgive the trespass of your brothers and their sins. For they did evil to you. Now please forgive the trespass of the servants of the God of your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Why was Joseph weeping? Because these people were lying. They didn't believe him the first time when he said he had forgiven them for everything they had done to him. And so they are using the name of their father who is dead so that their brother Joseph will not uh, hit back or revenge. But we can also see the influence of fathers that... Even at death, even after death, the influence you had, even though these ones were lying, we can see something there that it's very big because they knew Joseph will act on this. When he hears, it's the father who said that he should not revenge. Verse 18, then his brothers also went and fell down before his face and they said, behold, we are your servants. Joseph said to them, do not be afraid for am I in the place of God? But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as these days to save many people alive. That Joseph understood that not forgiving his brothers was taking the place of God. And we can see that God himself, he did not hold with forgiveness from us as we've seen throughout scripture. So we cannot be those who also withhold forgiveness from other people. And so Joseph tells them, I'm, I cannot take the place of God. That any time we refuse to forgive somebody, we are actually taking the place of God. Yet we see that Jesus, in how he demonstrated it, he said, it's very difficult, but not my will, but your will be done. Verse 21, he says, now therefore do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. So I will, I'm going to reach there. 
It said that Joseph is a typology of Christ. That as you look at everything he went through life, at the end, if he had not gone through everything that he went through from being sold as a slave to Egypt, finding himself in prison, that everything was orchestrated by God. And eventually out of their family, the family was, did not die because Joseph was ready for them in Egypt. And as a result, the Lord Jesus Christ comes from this lineage. That because Joseph went through all this, Christ was delivered to many people. Many people found salvation. And so whether you're reading the Old Testament or the New Testament, you'll constantly see the people who God orchestrated their lives a certain way so that in their obedience, other people would receive and get to know the Lord Jesus as their Savior. And so um, today we just want to challenge us as I invite the worship team. That's a story of that family. I don't know what the story of your family. Um, the thing that sometimes we know in death is because of things we did not do to prepare or to align or to stand by the things God is teaching us in our lives. That we receive salvation, but we stand by it. So that if we are parents, we live lives in a way and we parent our children in a way that the day we are not there, the thing of death, will not be too deep because we did our part to prepare them, even for life after our own death, but also for life in the Lord Jesus Christ. That part of the thing we experience when there is death, part of it is because somebody has departed. But if you look kingly and deeper, many families, the pain is coming from things that the family members did not do when that person was alive to both receive the good news and to stand by it. And so we continue to know this thing, that we can reduce the depth of this thing by receiving the Lord Jesus Christ and by standing by his word. Prepare our children for life after death when we are not there, but prepare them for life after death by receiving the Lord Jesus Christ so that when that day comes, we will be full of hope and not sting because we know we did our part to lead them to the Lord Jesus Christ. So I invite you to stand up, to just think about your life. Have you, at, in any area of your life, gotten your, to a place where the church of Corinth was, where they confused the good news for many things that we can do in church and for one another, except truly receiving it truly admitting that we are sinners and allowing God to forgive us and to give us eternal life. So just take some time to think about your life and we will pray after this while the worship team leads us in a song. put you in front in front of my melody you are all that matters you are all that matters I'll make room for two you and I Jesus you are all that matters 
You were all that matters. I'll put you in front. I'll put you in front. In front of my melody. You were all that matters. Yeah. You were all that matters. I'll make room for two. You and I, Jesus. You were all that matters. You were all that matters. Oh, hey, oh. You were all that matters. Oh, hey, oh. You were all that matters. Oh, hey, oh. You were all that matters. Before we close the service, we do not want to assume. In case you are there and today you just want to make that decision. To God. Even though we ask you to lift up your hand, that you do this to God. Where you say, I want to recommit my life to the Lord Jesus Christ. Or I want to make this decision to actually offer my life to God. To accept the Lord Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior and to stand by him. If you're there, please put up your hand and we'll pray together with you. as we think about that I don't know what you call the kind of church that I want to belong to but wherever you find yourself in this life we must look for places where we are pointed to Jesus and he's the one who draws men to himself never confuse a personal walk with the Lord 
with attendance, with generosity, with the many things that we do. Because on that day, all that will matter is a personal walk with the Lord. So may we be those people who constantly go to God on a daily basis and ask Him for forgiveness. And ask Him to teach us to stand by this gospel that we have received. And so, Father, we thank you because you know each and every one of us by name. We specifically pray for marriages that have struggled in standing by the good news. And we have accepted things that we can explain, our relative truth. And for as long as this is what I think is right, it doesn't matter. And we have failed to honor you in our marriages. Lord, I pray, remember mercy in our midst, both for those who are attending and for those who are online. You know the truth about our families. You know where we have not submitted to your Lordship, but instead we have given in to emotions, to personal opinions, except doing everything in accordance to Scripture. So Lord, help us to carry that burden to pray for one another. May we not be the people that are caught discussing who separated with who, which marriage is on the rocks, while we are supposed to be praying that salvation will come to that home. And so today, Father, for every family in the Nairobi Chapel, Lavington, that is struggling in that area, we pray that you help them to accept the good news over their marriage and to, to live in accordance, to stand by what your word says. Not by the opinions of men, not by their emotions, but they will also learn to forgive one another. Just like we see with Joseph, he said, it's not in my place. I would be taking the place of God to not forgive this person. We know it's not always easy, but Lord, we know that also the gospel is not powerless. And so we pray, may the power of the cross redeem and restore many homes for the glory and honor of your holy name. We pray for ourselves as individuals. I pray that God, you put a, a deep hunger and thirst for you. That we will constantly desire to be where you are, dear Father. To stand by the good news. To stand by your truth. That Jehovah God, we will not walk in deception thinking that because we were busy in our lifetime doing many good things, that we are in your books because Lord you say that you will say to many go away I do not know you and they will get confused and they will ask what do you mean I was with you when I was doing this and you will say no I pray that none of us will be part of that because today we can come before you Jehovah and ask you to sanctify us and to continue aligning us to the truth of your word this is not the kind of message that makes people say there's a sermon series somewhere, let's go for it. Because many times as human beings, we like to hear what makes our ears itch. 